rustling in the summer breeze as I see the Lord restore Jerusalem. I can hear a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind as God pours his some good stuff right there. Looking forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can't beat that. Amen. That's good. Boy, I tell you what, sometimes I'm not sure if we're all really looking that hard, but I wouldn't be disappointed if he showed up right now. That'd be okay with me. I'd be all right. Well, anyway, we are thrilled. And again, we've been honored to have with us Brother Spencer Smith. He's with IBOM. And uh, that's a ministry that we have supported for a number of years. Uh, Dr. Uh, Runyon was the uh, basically founder and uh, president of that group for a number of years, and basically they are uh, ahead of a, a group that puts national pastors on the field, that puts them in a place to minister. So they go over there and oversee national pastors, and so the money that's raised up uh, through that organization ultimately is funneled into the countries where it's going, whether it be the Philippines or Egypt or Africa. And then there are national people, those that have actually uh, been born there, raised there, that can live on the economy there for the kind of money they live. For instance, over in uh, the Philippines right now, if I'm not mistaken, it's, uh, well, I'm not sure of the Philippines, but I know you had mentioned earlier, Brother Spencer Smith, that the um, uh, over there in Africa, literally, we can put a missionary on the field, a national mis missionary, for 100 a month. Uh, 100, 100 a month, right? Can you imagine that? For $100 a month, you get a, a missionary that's out there preaching and teaching, a pastor that's reaching his own people that doesn't have to learn the language, doesn't have to be acclimated to the culture, but is already there, 100%, ready to go, and is out there working and working and working. And may I say today, you talk about bang for the buck. If you can get national preachers on the field preaching in their own countries, well, I'll tell you what, you are ahead of the game. And uh, this is exactly what Brother Spencer Smith and that group is doing. And he is traveling around the country. He preaches in churches across this country 
uh, just letting people know about not only that ministry, but about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he takes trips over there and oversees things. I'll tell you what, his phone bill, I would not want to pay his phone bill. He's on the phone to people in Africa on a regular, consistent basis, daily basis, I would have bet. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, just keeping up on all the things that he's been doing is amazing. A young man doing a great work for God. We've been pleased and pleasured for him to be here this last week. And today we're looking forward to what God has in store for us this morning. Brother, thank you so much. Thank you, preacher. Hallelujah. I appreciate that introduction. It's amazing what a $50 bill will do. Amen. So I appreciate that so very much. And uh, thankful for the opportunity to be here today with you guys. And I uh, love your church, love your music, amen. Don't ever change your music, amen. It's wonderful. And love the spirit that's here and the liberty to preach that's here. And uh, I even like some of you folks too, amen. So I, I appreciate that. And uh, God has been blessed. It's so good. And the uh, people are yelling at me already, amen. So I haven't even been up here a minute yet and people are yelling at me, amen. So I... I'm doing good, amen. Usually that takes about 15 minutes before people get upset, but anyway, and I'm glad to be here today. Normally I try to tell a joke or two before I preach, but I found that jokes can be dangerous if you if you mess them up. They can be really dangerous. I remember hearing a story about a preacher. He, was a, he really wasn't a funny guy. He did not really understand humor, and so he said, you know what? I'm going to try to fix this. I'm going to try to learn how to be funny, so he went across town to hear a funny preacher and this funny preacher got up and he told a joke. He said, uh, he said, church, he said, my, my wife is here today, but I spent the best years of my life in the arms of another woman. And today I call her mom. Amen. And the whole church just kind of laughed and all that kind of stuff. He said, that's funny, man. I'm going to go home to my church and tell my church that. So he went home to, to his home church and he said, all right. He said, ladies and gentlemen, my wife is here and I love my wife, but I spent the best years of my life in the arms of another woman. And when he said that, three or four women in the church go, ah, and just panicked like that. And so he panicked, and he didn't remember the punchline. And so he just goes, and for the life of me, I can't remember her name. And uh, so <laughs> he, uh, he, he learned that jokes can be a little dangerous, amen. So I uh, appreciate that, and I'm going I'm to try to get into the message today. I don't want to tell any more jokes or nothing, but anyhow... Uh, but I've, I've enjoyed my time here. Um, I, have, uh, I have been fed so much that I'm literally fed up. Amen. So it is good, good, good. There's at least five pounds on me from this week. And uh, so that's been great. I appreciate that. Uh, I went out to eat with uh, Brother Brad yesterday at uh, uh, where it was Outback. And uh, we had all-you-could-eat shrimp. Amen. And uh, I ate 49 shrimp. He ate 50 because he's a glutton. And um, so... <laughs> But he asked me at the end of the, of, the, uh, end of the meal, he said, I wonder if they got carry-out service. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I ate so much food, they're going to have to put me in a wheelbarrow and we'll carry me out of here. Amen. So I, I, I've, I've felt that way this week a couple times. Uh, but anyway, I've had a wonderful time and uh, certainly do appreciate you folks. And uh, let's do this. Let's take our Bible to Mark chapter number 8 today. And uh, let's all stand if we get a moment together. Let's stand. And I've been praying this week and asking God what He would have for me to say uh, during this hour. And uh, last night I, I went through again and prepared myself to preach to you and, and try to find the mind of the Lord. This is His conference and I just want to be obedient to how He's leading and uh, do His will the best I can. But I want to deal with such an important subject today that um, I need God's help to properly convey the enormity of the topic I'm speaking on. I... 
I find here in Mark chapter number 8 and verse 36, Jesus Christ Himself is speaking. And He says these, these phrases here in Mark 8, 36 and 37. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And I want to speak to you this morning with the help of God on what is the value of a soul. What is the value of a soul? And let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Lord, that you're in the soul business. Thank you, Lord God, that you care about human people and that you care about our souls. And Lord, thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for my salvation so that I could be born again and have the promise of heaven. Lord, I pray this morning as we try to preach, God, I feel so inadequate to deal with such a large and such an important subject. I pray for your divine help. I pray for your grace and and your strength in this time of need. And God, I pray that you would speak to hearts now in this hour. Lord, help us to get a glimpse of eternity Help us to live with eternity's values in view. Help us, Lord, to set aside the world and, uh, and wor- not worry about those things for a while, but to get a fresh glimpse with spiritual eyes of eternal things and things that have eternal value. I pray as Jonathan Edwards prayed, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs this morning. Help me to live that way. Help me to see things according to their eternal value, not according to their temporal worldly value. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts now. Bless in the faith, promise, missions, giving, commitment. And uh, we'll give you all the glory for everything you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. I I find here that the Lord Jesus Christ explained here what the value of a soul was. He said, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. And I, I got to looking on, uh, on there's a uh, website called Forbes, and uh, there's a, actually a magazine. And I started looking at the five richest men in the world according to 2018. Uh, the, the number one richest man in the world right now, they say, is a man by the name of Jeff Bezos, who is runner of the, the, uh, the Amazon uh, uh, company. He is worth $160 billion personally. He's a big, rich man right now. The second richest man in the world is a man by the name of Bill Gates. You might be familiar with him. He's worth $97 billion. The third richest man in the world right now is a man by the name of Warren Buffett. He is worth $88 billion. The fourth richest man in the world is a man by Bernard Arnault. He's a French man, and he's worth $72 billion. The fifth richest man in the world is a man by the name of Amancia Ortega. He is a billionaire in Spain, and he is worth $70 billion. And I started looking up rich pieces of real estate, very expensive pieces of real estate. I found out something I did not know, that that Buckingham Palace in London, England, is actually uh, the, the property and the building and all of that. If you were to purchase that, you would have to pay $1.55 billion for that piece of property. That's how most, how valuable that is. And I started looking up the, uh, the sports franchises just to see what sports franchises were worth. And I found out something that surprised me. The most valuable sports franchise in America is the Dallas Cowboys for some odd reason. I don't know why that is. Uh, uh, but it's worth, they don't play like they're worth anything, but... Uh, that it is the most valuable, financially valuable franchise. 
uh, in, in America, actually in the world, it's worth $4.8 billion to own that franchise. The next uh, most valuable franchise in the United States is uh, the New York Yankees. Who would want to own that? And, uh, but it, that franchise itself is worth about $4 billion. The next uh, most valuable franchise is the New England Patriots. Uh, they're worth $3.7 billion, and you've got to have a lot of money to cheat the way they do. Amen? And um, so, no, I, I just get I don't believe they cheat. Amen? And um, so, the, uh, the fourth most valuable franchise in the world is the New York Knicks. I didn't realize that. It was the New York Knicks. They're worth $3.6 billion as a franchise. And the fifth most valuable sports franchise in the United States of America, get this, is the L.A. Lakers. They are worth $3.3 billion. But if I compare all these numbers and I look at what the Lord Jesus Christ says, what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Basically what, I'm, what Jesus is saying is if you take the net worth of Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, Bernard Arnault, or Mansi Ortega, you take the cash value of Buckingham Palace, the value of the Dallas Cowboys, you take the, Dallas, uh, the value of the New York Yankees, the New England Patriots, the New York Knicks, and the L.A. Lakers, and you cash it all out, and you make a big pile of money and all the, all the assets and the CDs and all the, all the things that are associated with that, all the franchise royalties, and you put it in one big pile, all of the billions and billions of dollars and put it all in one big pile, that pile would not be worth one human soul. Can I tell you today that ought to blow your mind? And that ought to make you realize that a lot of us are in the wrong business. That, that, that ought to make you realize that the world, although they act like they're rich, they're really nothing more than a bunch of poor people portraying and acting a role, and they really don't understand what's really valuable in this world. And I'm not really concerned that the world doesn't understand what's valuable. I'm concerned that the church doesn't really understand what's valuable. Can I tell you today that if we look at it and we realize what Jesus Christ said and we believe what Christ said about the value of human souls, then we will realize that money's not worth it and fame's not worth it. But really, if you want to be rich in this world, you need to go after souls and get some souls. So I want to ask a few questions today. And my my outline will be simply three questions today. And we'll... Go ahead and move on with the service. But the first question I want to ask you today is, what value did God the Father place upon human souls? What did He value uh, human souls? Well, we know that the Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world... That's the human souls of this world. That's me and that's you. That's, that's humanity, if you will. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God the Father said, I want human souls and I'm willing to give my only begotten Son to exchange for those souls. Romans 8.32 says this, He that spared not His own Son but delivered delivered him up for us all. I'm going to tell you today that God delivered his son in exchange for human souls. Can I tell you that was a wonderful high price right there. Go with me to Romans chapter number 5 if you will. 
I'm learning a lot about the value of souls by what God the Father paid for human souls. Look what it says in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 6. The Bible says this, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. The Bible uses the illustration there of a righteous man, and it talks about these, this man who is righteous. There are some folks who would die for him, and then it says there's a good man who's not really a righteous man, but he's a good man. It says some even would dare to die, but then it talks about but God commended his love towards us in that we weren't we weren't righteous we weren't good we were the bottom of the barrel we were the worst of the worst we were sinners and Christ died for us my friend can I tell you that heaven gave its very best to save man at its very worst God gave what was wonderful to save what was worthless God gave the worthy one to save the wicked ones God gave the most impeccable to save the most immoral. God gave the one of the highest value to save the most horribly vile. What I'm telling you today is God the Father placed a high premium on human souls and He said, I'll give my Son for these people because I want them to be saved. That's the value that God the Father placed on human souls. Can I tell you today that God gave the treasure of heaven to save the trash of earth God gave His darling Son to save those in the darkest sin. God gave the most lovely for the most lost. He gave the most divine for the most depraved. I'm telling you that God gave the crown prince of the universe for the corrupt people of earth. God gave something that was perfect and priceless for something that was pathetic, pernicious, and pagan. What I'm trying to tell you today is that God gave everything for something that was nothing Because He loved us. Hallelujah. And that's the value of human souls according to God the Father. Can I tell you today, I wonder today, do we have the same attitude about human souls today? God the Father gave His only begotten Son and Christ died for sinners so that we could be born again. What value did God the Father place upon human souls? He gave His only begotten Son. But I want to ask another question. What did men of the past, what value did they place upon human souls? Well, go me to Romans chapter 9. I'll show you this real quick. We're going to get a glimpse of the heart of the Apostle Paul. And he's going to say a few things that really are are shocking statements, if you will, in Romans chapter 9. In verses 1 through 3, we'll look there. The Bible says here, Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. What he's saying there, he said, I wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren. Paul is literally saying here that I have such a desire to see these people saved, these Israeli people, these Jewish people. He's saying that if it were possible for me to go to hell so that they could be saved, then I would do it. He said, I'd do it. 
He said, if it were possible for me to be a curse from Christ so that they can know Christ, then I would do it. Let me say that throughout Christian history, there have been hundreds of stories of men who have suffered through incredible trials so that they may see men and women come to Christ. Recently, I've been reading a story about a man named John Patton. How many have ever heard of John Patton before? John Patton was a, uh, was a man who uh, took his wife in the uh, mid-1800s. He, he took his wife that was with child uh, and landed on an island called Tana in the new Hebrides Island chain, which is in the South Pacific. He went there because he was burdened for souls and wanted to see these pagan people come to Christ, these cannibals come to Christ. And he went there and landed on the island on November 5th, 1858. But by March of the next year, John Patton's wife and newborn son had died on that island. But guess what he did? Because he had a passion for souls, he stayed. And he preached. And many times he would go into a village and he would start preaching. And somebody would show up in the village and wouldn't like what he was saying. And they would throw spears at him. And they would try to, they would try to attack him and kill him. And he would run from the village and flee. And many times, according to his diary, he would have to spend the night in a tree. And hearing these, these cannibals underneath walking around all night trying to find him. He did that because he wanted to see souls saved. Can I tell you that was the value that John Patton placed on human souls? He was willing to go and he was willing to die and he was willing to suffer hardship. He was willing to go through all kinds of terrible things because this man saw with eternal eyes that souls were more valuable than fame. Souls were more valuable than money. Souls were immeasurable in their worth. I'm telling you today that John Patton saw it. David Brainerd is a man that I've been reading a lot after. If you've never read the diary or the, uh, the, yeah, the diary of David Brainerd, then you're missing out, my friend. I'm telling you, that is some of the best literature ever written by a Christian man this side of eternity. David Brainerd was a young man. He died, I believe, at 27 years old, and he was a missionary to the Native American Indians here in New England uh, back in the 1700s or so. And he said this, he put this in his diary. He said, I care not where I go or how I live, or what I endure, so that I may save souls. When I, dream, when I sleep, I dream of them. When I wake, they are first in my thoughts. No amount of scholastic attainment or able and profound exposition of brilliance and stirring eloquence can atone for the absence of a deep, impassioned, sympathetic love for human souls. David Brainerd also said this. He said all, on his deathbed, he said this, All my desire was the conversion of the heathen. I declare now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. What makes a man quit a job with benefits, a steady paycheck, stability, had a good mortgage and and, and, and maybe could pay some good car payments and had a nice, posh, comfortable life here in America. What makes a man do that and resign all that and start traveling, telling churches that he needs to go overseas to try to reach a heathen group of people so that they can be born? What makes a man do that? It's because they see the real value of human souls. And I wonder today, I think I've wondered for people, there's people in pews that they don't get it. They don't get it. This is a great thing. What a wonderful opportunity. 
to be involved in reaching people with the gospel. This is where it's at. This is the value. This is what's worth something in this world. Everything else is just smoke and mirrors. It's worthless. So I ask you a question, what value did God the Father place upon human souls? What value did men before us place on human souls? But lastly, this question I want to ask you, what value do you place on human souls? I, um, I, a couple years ago I was in Africa. It was actually one of my early trips in Africa. And I remember I was walking into a, a grocery store because I was hungry. That happens every now and then to me. Y'all pray for me. And... Um, I, uh, I went into that uh, grocery store and I got, uh, I got peanut butter. And if you don't like peanut butter, then you're not right with the Lord. Amen. Hey, man, glory to God. Every time I preach, I preach about food. What is, what is wrong with me? Amen. I, uh, I, I worry about that. Hey, Amen. Y'all pray for me. But I, uh, I went in there and I got some peanut butter and I, I walked out of that store and was walking to our van and it was, it was night and it, it was dark outside. And something happened to me that you don't want to ever have happen to you in Africa. I felt a hand go into my, my suit coat pocket, just like that. And I thought to myself, oh, here we go. It's Rambo time. Somebody's trying to steal my stuff. And I turned around real quick. And there was a kid about this tall right there. And he looked like he'd been in a coal mine for six months. He was dirty, he was nasty, he had an odor coming off of him, and I thought, oh my goodness, what in the world is going on? And I started talking to him for a few minutes. I said, what's your name? He shared with me his name, and, and I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I, he said, I'm hungry, can you help me with some food? And I said, I can identify with that, amen. And so I said, I said man, I, and I gave him like a bag of uh, potato chips or popcorn, something like that. And I noticed we started talking. I tried to witness to him. And I noticed something. His eyes were real glazed over real bad. And this kid was a drug addict. I asked him, I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 12 years old. And I said, uh, and I, I started talking to him, trying to witness to him about Christ. And, and I noticed he, he had like, a, like his jaw was swollen a little bit. And he looked like a chipmunk with a bunch of, bunch of food in his mouth. And I said, I said, what's wrong with your jaw? He goes, oh, he said, I got, a, I got a tooth back there. And he showed me a tooth. And, man, he had an abscess in there that you wouldn't believe. And his whole jaw was swollen. It was rough. And while I was talking to him, a friend of his yelled to him. And he, he, he was talking to me. And he turned around and, and yelled to his friend. And I noticed something real quick. I noticed the back of his calf when he turned away from me. And I noticed the back of his calf was like completely split open. I mean, it was, it was a brutal knife cut that he had on the back of his calf. And I said, man, what happened to your leg? What is going on? He said, well, he, he said, I, I went to a store and I was hungry. And, and he, said, um, he said, I went to the store and asked the store manager, I said, is there some old food that you can give me because I'm hungry? And, and uh, his, his mama died when he was like four years old. And his daddy, he would never knew his daddy. And he'd been living on the street since he was four years old. And now he's 12 and he's in rough shape. And he said, uh, he said that store owner sent me away and ordered me out of the store. And I begged him for some more food. He said he pulled out a machete and threw it at me, hit me in the back of the leg. He said that thing's been hurting ever since. And I said, how long ago was that? He said it was about two weeks ago. No treatment, no bandage, nothing, just open. And, and I started talking to him, and it was, it was time to go, and I tried to witness to him, and, and there was a, a little bit of a language barrier there, just a little bit, and, and his, his mind had been affected by the drugs. And, and I started thinking, I said, Lord, this kid, society looks at him and says he's worthless. 
Society looks at him and says he's an annoyance. But God, you look at him and you say, this is a treasure. This is a soul. This is somebody who needs to be saved. This is somebody who needs Christ. This kid is worth more than the whole world. I tried to get him saved, and I've been trying to reach those slum kids. I was unable to get him saved that day. But I thought to myself, man, if I just got him saved, if I if I had been able to get him to trust Christ, man, I, I would be a rich man because I'd have a soul on my account. And can I tell you today, I, I was I, God kept speaking to me and asking me, said Spencer, what would you be willing to do to get that kid saved? And I said, Lord, I'll do anything. I, I, I'll travel the country. I'll try to raise money. I'll try to do whatever I got to do. Please, God, let me get kids like that saved. And God's been answering our prayers. <laughs> Last year we had a um, had a Kenya conference. Man, we had eighteen hundred of those kids like just like that get saved. And I'm telling you, we've seen thousands and thousands get saved. Listen, the world does not have the riches. Souls are the riches. I um I want to say this to you. I, I read an interesting story not too long ago about the greatest real estate deal of all time. There was a bunch of explorers who went to New York, and they met a bunch of Indians in, a, in an area that is now known as New York City. And these, these pioneer people, these, these explorer people, they wanted to purchase an island off the coast of what is now New York City. And what they did, they traded them a bunch of necklaces and furs, which was in modern days uh, money, was equivalent to $800. And these Indians agreed for a land purchase for $800 and gave them an island right off the coast of what's now known as New York City. That island today is called Manhattan. These men purchased the entirety of the island of Manhattan for $800. Do you know what Manhattan's worth today? They say that Manhattan, New York City, that Manhattan Island there, they say that it's worth $1,773 a square foot for $800. And I thought to myself, what a great land purchase that was. Man, I I could go for an investment like that. I mean, return on investment, I don't even know how much percentage that is. But I started looking at what our money was that we were spending in IBOM to try to get people saved overseas. I started counting the number of people saved versus the amount of money coming in. And and I found out about four years ago that for every five American dollars we were spending and raising over, over here in America that we were sending to Africa, that was resulting in one person getting saved. And I thought to myself, that's got to be wrong. So I went and checked it again about a year later. And guess what? It was wrong. I was way off. It's not $5 to see one person saved in Africa. It's $3 to see one person saved in Africa. And so what I'm presenting to you today as as a missionary, and we're talking about giving to missions, what we're presenting to you is the greatest deal ever in the history of the world, greater than the real estate deal in Manhattan, to say that I can spend just a little bit of my money, my American dollars, and I can invest that into the work of God, and I can see real living souls that are worth more than the L.A. Lakers, more than the New England Patriots, more than the New York Yankees, and worth more than all of the world... I can invest and get those and have those to my account. I'm telling you, this is the opportunity of all eternity to invest in the work of God, my friend. So what kind of value did God the Father place upon a soul? What kind of value did men before us place on souls? And what kind of value do you place on souls? I want to say that missions giving is not an inconvenience, but it's an investment. It's not a bill. It's a blessing. It's not a donation. It's a delight. 
Let me give you three things about missions giving. Number one, it should be an act of willfulness. You ought to be willing to do it. It's an act of worship. But let me say last of all, it's an act that's totally worth it. There is no loss in missions. There's nothing more than great gain. And the question is, do you want to get in on it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be here today to preach this great crowd of good people. Lord, help us to view things the way you do. Help us to have value on things that you have value on. And bless now this morning in our efforts. Oh, God, speak to our hearts and help us. Help us, conform us, Lord, change us. How many say by uplifted hand this morning, say, God spoke to my heart this morning, and I want to value what God values. I want to place values on souls like God does. Would you raise your hand this morning all over the building? Amen. Amen. Listen, this is a wonderful opportunity to have souls to your account. How many say by uplifted hand, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know that I'm born again. Would you raise your hand this morning? All right, amen. Hands all over the building. Can I tell you today, like I told a man yesterday on soul winning, if you go and gain the whole world, sir, and you gain the entirety of the wealth of the world, and you lose your own soul, and you die and go to hell, you'll come out on the losing end of that deal. Always, always, always. You trust Christ, your Savior. As the piano begins to play, why don't you stand with us today? Come to an old-fashioned altar this morning and place the value where God places the value. God's the all-knowing one.